Ajalom. For the past six weeks, I've had the distinct pleasure of teaching a mini course for our sixth graders. I must confess, when Rabbi Rifkin, the principal of the religious school, asked to speak with me, my first reaction was anxiety. <laughs> I have an elaborate history of spending time in principal's office in the various schools that I attended, never for what I would describe as positive achievements. <laughs> to this day, and I tell them, whatever the principal of our religious or our nursery school asks to see me, all those anxieties of my childhood years flood back to me. Oh gosh, what did I do this time? Not working hard enough, failed the math test. How am I gonna explain all this to my mother? But even more, sixth graders intimidate me. I don't even know how to characterize them. They're not children, but they're not adults. Just the way they look at me with this gaze, tell me something that I don't know, freaks me out. I've given speeches before thousands of people, done radio, television, print, interviews, and the most anxiety I ever feel is one, being called into the principal's office, and two, teaching sixth graders. But I realized again, after spending time with them, how much I love being with young people. First of all, our kids are the best, really the best, a true delight, smart, curious, inquisitive, polite, if you take the time to get to know them, they open a window allowing us to peer into the future, to take a glimpse of what might be in store for humanity in the decades to come. The course was entitled, The Bible Meets Technology or something like that. How Ancient Wisdom Relates to Modern Life. Naturally, when I met the students, I asked them to turn off their devices. That was my first lesson. Like, I can't describe to you the stricken look upon some of those faces. It was as if their world collapsed. Then I shared with them what sixth grade was like for me. We didn't have computers. At most, we had typewriters, which most people didn't use because they couldn't type. When electric typewriters were introduced, it seemed to us the final word in technology. Nothing else could ever be invented that was as great as an electric typewriter. When I made the mistake of sharing with the sixth graders that we didn't even have fax machines either, like they looked at me incomprehensively. What did he say? Facts machines? It's like a machine that gives you all the facts that you ever want to know? They couldn't envision a world without smartphones, apps, Snapchat, Waze. No Waze, they said. They thought it was prehistory, that I was describing not what school was like 40 years ago, but 4,000 years ago for Abraham, <laughs> Moses, 
Neanderthals. Our times are characterized by two prevailing forces, speed and reason. If something is not quick, it's not useful. And if something is not reasonable, if it can't be proven, if it is not supported by evidence, we discard it. Speed and reason, technology and rationalism, science and enlightenment, these are the most radical revolutions in the history of humanity. Technology is about speed. Computers speed everything up. They simplify. We used to have to, we used to, have to do research in what was once called books. <laughs> the hours I spent in libraries, you too, in law school, in rabbinical school, could today be reduced to minutes. Even the way that I write these sermons is dramatically different from when I first came out of rabbinical school. But it's not only in learning. Technology speeds up everything, putting food on our table, to traveling, to communicating with each other. Modern science is, is compatible with the philosophical approach of our times. Science and reason are interconnected, one influencing the other and allowing for the development of the other. We shun the non-rational. We want proof. We don't like mystery. We seek to demystify. We believe that eventually everything can and will be explained. We give greater credence nowadays to the scientific explanation of love than the Shakespearean version. You know, there are dating apps now that take your saliva to measure the pheromones in your body as a way of chemically matching you with your soulmate. We give less credence to, hear my soul, speak of the very instance that I saw you, did my heart fly at your service, I love you more than wor words can wield the matter, dearer than eyesight, space, and liberty. So how is it possible today for the Bible to meet technology? Technology will always speed by antiquity and out-reason Moses. We see this clash in our Parsha, Beshalach. In one verse, both speed and reason take center stage in this one amazing verse. Pharaoh finally relented and let the people go, and then we read, this is one of the great verses, not only in the Torah, in all of human literature. God diverted the people round about, the long way around, through the wilderness, by the way of Yamsuf, the Sea of Reeds, the Red Sea. In one verse, 
Torah emphasizes the journey to the promised land will not be quick. And by mentioning Yam Suf, the Red Sea, the most non-rational, non-scientific event in the litany of biblical miracles. The Bible is telling us that life is not and cannot only be about reason, science, and technology. It is also about mystery, the unexplained. To understand these takes time. Contrary to what the people wanted and expected, they'd be going the long way around. It turned out to be a 40-year journey. The sages of the Midrash tell us why. God said, if I bring the people into the land of Israel now, before they have busied themselves with my commandments, they will not know their meaning. In other words, to arrive at the promised land too quickly would have harmed the Israelites. They would not have comprehended the meaning of freedom, nor would they have been capable of winning and defending it. This is so difficult for us. Always has been, but especially today. We want to arrive quickly. We want the answer quickly, immediately, instantly. We want to succeed early in life to get to our own promised land quickly. But premature success is often the worst thing for us. We may confuse that with destiny. We succeeded not because we were fortunate, but because we were fated. It's in our destiny to succeed. We're one of those superior people. Only later do we realize that the years of slow learning have been the best for us. I'm going to talk a little bit about that tomorrow, too. should all come to the bar mitzvah tomorrow. It's going to be fantastic. You'll hear a better elaboration of this message. These years of slow learning steeled us against failure and disappointment and enhanced our virtues of patience, tenacity, and will. Religion seeks to slow life down. That's the meaning of Shabbat. The quickest way is not always the best way. Anything worthwhile and long-lasting takes time. Relationships take time. Learning takes time. Understanding takes time. Religion is more important to us than ever today, precisely in our era. Torah reminds us that machines serve us, not the opposite. We do not wish to slow down technological advance, but we seek to make technology our tool, not our taskmaster. And the miracle of the sea splitting? What does that have to offer to us today in the age of science? Jewish sages taught us long ago that whatever cannot be explained through nature, 
natural events, is not to be taken literally. Biblical animals talking, seas splitting, these are metaphors, not scientific treatises. As Rabbi Soloveitchik taught, what we call miracles are not descriptions of the supernatural. Rather, a miracle is an event that causes amazement. Amazement, wonder, awe, astonishment, reverence, praise, gratitude, glorification, homage, harmony. These are what make life worth living and what the splitting of the sea should arouse in us precisely those aspects of life that we are losing in modern times. When we see a rainbow in the sky, we know the scientific explanation of how it was formed. The reflection, refraction, and dispersion of light in water droplets resulting in a spectrum of light appearing in the sky. I know that because I wikied it. It took me 10 seconds. But as Mark Twain wrote, we've lost as much as we've gained by that. When the ancients saw a rainbow in the sky, it prompted amazement. They thought of God. They thought of human beings' place in what we now call the universe, the cosmos. It looked to them like a shield, and they thought of the covenant of God's protection over humanity. The irony is that our humanity is at risk today more than ever. We have all the information ever written in the palm of our hand, but the grandeur of the human spirit atrophies. No matter how technologically advanced we are, we are still concerned with the spirit the soul. In addition to the physics, math, chemistry, and technology we stuff into the minds of our children, rightly, we want to remind them that the main purpose of life is not to understand the external forces that formed us, but the internal forces that govern us. We're still human. We're not different creatures than the ancients. We have not evolved into something else. We have the same instincts, the same needs. We still yearn for peace, peace with our surroundings and peace with ourselves. It is a long and at times frustrating journey filled with disappointments and failures. There is no shortcut. In the words of the prophet Jeremiah, stand by the road, ask the good way, and walk on it, and you will find rest for your souls.